All right, good morning, everybody. Really glad that you're with us today, and just want to encourage you to go ahead and grab your program, if you would, and we're just going to jump right in today and uh, move toward our communion time that we get to have together. And I want to draw your attention to a couple of things in that program. One would be your connection cards. So if you go ahead and write your name on it, at the end of our time together today, you're going to get an opportunity to uh, write a thought to God or to give something up, because today, I just want you to know, today is a day that you can move towards freedom. Today will be a day that people will be set free. You can choose that freedom or you cannot choose it. And I just pray today that every one of us who choose the freedom that Christ is going to offer us today as we talk about some very difficult subjects today in this series that we're in. So I just pray that you'll be open to that. Just, uh, if you're a guest, thanks so much for being here. We're uh, really happy that you came today. And if you'd stop at our, uh, right out in our kiosk in the middle of the lobby, there's some folks there that will just have a gift we want to give you as a way of saying thanks for being with us today. And invite all of you, if you wanted to go over to our Next Step bookstore, I have some great books that we've picked for this series and just uh, want you to encourage you to look through some of those, specifically one by C.S. Lewis called Screwtape Letters, which really gives you the insight as to how Satan might work as he wants to tempt us in these seven deadly sins that we've been in in this series. So one, uh, one announcement is just our Fall Family Festival. We're ramping up to Fall Family Festival. It is on October 31st, as you know, and we have a lot to do between now and then. And so uh, there's a three-pronged approach to uh, this whole idea, and it's on the flyers that you see there. Uh, the first flyer says it's invite, serve, and give. We need people to do all three in those. We're giving you a tool starting today as an invitation card that you can use to invite people, but we still need people to be looking for an area they can serve. And you look on the back of that flyer, there's a chance for you to sign up in some way. And you may be, especially with this new thing that we're doing this year with the, uh, the booth contest, to create a booth. And so maybe you've had a booth in the past, you want to spruce it up, enter into the contest. It's going to be a lot of fun as we get together with, you know, several thousands of people come here and experience uh, our Halloween alternative. And we found it to be a very moving time for people. And they actually want to come back and experience a church that would give this kind of gift to our community. So it requires all of us, though, to be on hand to make that happen. So just encourage you, if you're not signed up, you're not, you know, knowing how you're going to participate, that you'd go ahead and fill out one of those. Or you can stop by the table out front, and they can give you some information as well. Now, today we're continuing our series on the seven deadly sins. We've got a theme verse, which really talks about the process that uh, sin can grab us, and it begins with our own desires. And it's from James chapter 1. It says this in James chapter 1. It says, temptation comes from our own desires, meaning that, you know, we can't blame outward. It comes from inside as I give in to the desires that I have. And we're going to talk today about their ordered desires and disordered desires, and which can entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. So there's the process. My desires, as I give in to them, give birth to sinful actions. And then here's what happens. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth and leads to, help me out, death. That's why it's the seven deadly sins. It leads to death. Now, we're not talking necessarily about physical death, even though it can lead to physical death. We're not talking about relational death, even though we've, you know, point, painted a picture about how these can be destructive relationally. Primarily, we're talking about spiritual death. It can move me away from the relationship that God wants for me to be intimately involved with him, and it can lead to spiritual death. And so we're trying to keep that from happening, and we're talking about how we can be set free from those. So go ahead and grab your message notes, and uh, you're going to be able to fill in some things today. And uh, today we're going to move, and we're going to talk about the sin of lust, the sin of lust together today. And But before we do that, what I want to do is I want to uh, ask all of us, as we think about these seven deadly sins, we think about the power of sin, is that 
uh, it begins with us learning to say no to our desires. And if we don't say no, then those desires get bigger and bigger and bigger until they can ultimately overwhelm us. We're going to watch a video now about a guy that thought he could have a desire and it wouldn't overwhelm him. Let's see what happens. Meet Joe. Nice gorilla. Nice Joe has a big problem. Nice gorilla. And he lives with it every day. It started out small. Can you get it to me tonight? Oh, so cute. And it got too big to hide. Honey, I found this in the drain. The problem steals Joe's energy. Robs his money. Yeah, I have a thousand bananas for Mr. Gorilla. Oh, thank you. And affects his health. Oh, I can't come into work today. My chest is killing me. His friends are suspicious. Hey, Joe, how about those snacks? Come around, Joe. Joe? And his family is scared. Oh, left hand green. Joe knows he has to do something before he loses everything. Joe, we cannot live with this gorilla anymore. We just what, can't. What gorilla? No, I don't have a gorilla. We're done. What gorilla? Enough. Look, I don't have a gorilla. I don't, I don't have a gorilla. I don't have a gorilla! <laughs> Joe tries to fight his problem. That's it. You and me right now. In the end, the problem always wins. Joe wants to be free. This is me. I have a pet gun. He wants his life back. Sir, driving under the influence of a gorilla is a very serious offense. My car! Don't worry. He'll be back. But before he can be free, Joe has to do one thing. Hi, I'm Joe, and... Admit the truth. I have a pet gorilla. Hi, Joe! Because it's the truth that sets you free. You don't have to answer that, you know. And accountability that keeps you there. I know. Funny monkey. Lots of truth there, right? Uh, it's bigger and bigger, and it overcomes us. We think we can combat it, and yet it can take us over. And there are several steps, actually, in that video that we're going to point out today that can help us to also break free from this issue today, especially of lust and the seven deadly sins. We've looked at several of them. Today we get to look at lust, and some of you are going, well, finally one that's interesting, right? We get to talk about something that we all deal with, that we can all talk about, and really, hopefully, I'm going to talk, I'm going to be really honest today, 
and talking about it, and I pray that you'd be really open to hearing what God might want to say about, uh, say to you. This may be the toughest of the sins, honestly, uh, because giving into this sin can do great, tremendous damage physically, emotionally, and spiritually when I give into the sin of lust. Maybe the most damage of any other sin, because this sin can rob me of the thrill of the kind of life that Jesus said he came to offer in John 10, 10, and all its fullness. It can rob me of the life that Jesus said he called to give me. So I'm going to begin this morning by defining lust. And so right in that first line, you want to write down this definition of lust as we go through it today. Lust is simply disordered desire. Disordered desire. So I have desire, but it's disordered desire. That's what lust is, disordered desire, desire that's out of order. It's a compulsion to have normal needs met in abnormal ways. Normal needs met in abnormal ways. We talked about several things in this series. Lust for material possessions, we call that greed. Lust for power, we call that pride. Lust for control, we can call that out of control, anger. Lust for um, what others have, that's envy. Frederick Beekner says this about lust. He says, lust is the craving of salt by a person who's dying of thirst. Craving disordered in the wrong way. But for our context today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the number one lust that I think that destroys us in life. We're going to center in, we're going to hone in on one lust, and it's sexual lust. We're going to look at sexual lust in our time together this morning. Sexual lust is disordered desire. Biblical sexuality is ordered desire. So we're going to compare the two today. Sexual lust is disordered desire. Biblical sexuality is ordered desire. We're going to look at that today. Now, some, this may surprise some of you. It surprised me the first time I thought about this, and I've thought about it a lot. But here's, here's what I want to share with you just to start out this morning. You need to hear this. Some of you may never have heard this, may not even know this, may not even believe this, but here we go. God is pro-sex. God is pro-sex. He's all for it, okay? He made it. He invented it. He created it for us to have fulfillment when it's ordered. When we follow the biblical order, we will experience everything he made sex to be in life. We'll experience that. He created us as sexual beings, and when we experience sexuality as he intended it, there is nothing better. Nothing better when we experience it the way that he intended it. God gave us sex as a means of connecting and bonding two people together into one. He gave us a, a means of connecting and bonding two people into an intimate relationship. And when we follow his order, the order that he prescribed, it has incredible potential to bring us glorious fulfillment when we follow his order. But when we disregard, disregard his order, it can lead to brokenness. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to list for you several ways that sexual lust disorders the biblical order. And we're going to look at these and kind of in depth, and you want to write these down as we go through them. Three key components to sexual lust. First, sexual lust is disordered desire for pleasure without prohibition. It's disordered desire for pleasure without prohibition. It's disordered desire. I'm going to have this desire, and I want this pleasure, but I don't want any boundaries. I don't want any rules. I want to be able to experience sexuality as I think. It's for me, and I was made this way. God did this to me, and I'm going to follow the way that I'm going to experience it without rules. It's a self-centered approach, totally, that says my pleasure is my desire, and I'm going to fulfill it. 
And I don't want any boundaries. I don't want any rules. I don't want anyone to prohibit me from being able to have pleasure as I determine I need to have pleasure as I seek out my sexuality. Now, back in the 60s, some of you were alive back then. Some of you can actually remember the 60s. And so we come back to that period of time that we went through. It was the what? It was the sexual revolution. And the, part, the, the whole idea of the sexual revolution was that we would get rid of what? Boundaries. We would get rid of prohibitions because we were made to be sexual beings. Therefore, we have to have sex as we determine it to be, no matter what God says, no matter what anyone else in culture says, that we're going to throw off all the rules. And that is sexual lust, and that is disordered desire. It's not the biblical order that God would have for us, because he gives rules, and he gives boundaries. One person was writing about the whole sexual revolution and uh, experiencing everything that he did in the 60s, and then later on he was writing about, reflecting about uh, how he saw it a different way. And this is what he wrote later. He says, I finally come to see that every game has its rules and sex has its rules. And unless you pay, play by the rules, you will find that sex can create a depth of loneliness that nothing else can. When we use sex outside of boundaries, especially the biblical boundaries. Next, sexual lust is disordered desire for pleasure without a promise. Pleasure without a promise. And some of you are going, hmm, I understand what that one's about pleasure without a promise. It's not just desiring pleasure, because you know what? I'll just say it right up front. Pleasure's fine. We're not saying no pleasure today. We're saying it's pleasure when it's disordered, is what leads us to destruction. And so pleasure is fine. What we're going to talk about is the pleasure according to what God says. So I just want to take a minute here, and I'm going to talk about what God says about pleasure with a promise. And I'm going to share with you God's design. Here it is. Biblical sex Biblical sex is always, for all time, always for all time to be one man and one woman in a complete, exclusive, monogamous relationship. That's biblical sex. That's God's order. Anything else outside of God's order is disordered and is going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to hurt. It's going to lead to pain in every area of life. That's God's order. Sex is the way that, as God intended, is the way for us to say to one another that I belong completely and exclusively to you. It's really quiet in here. <laughs> Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, to have sex without marriage, to want pleasure without a commitment, is like trying to taste and eat food and then vomit it up. A person who wants to taste food but doesn't want it to become part of who they are. So they want to taste the food and then as the food, they're able to taste it, they want to experience the taste of the food, and then they vomit it up before they're, you know, committed to the food, before the food has actually had, becomes part of them. And so they, you know, we call that bulimia, actually, when you're talking about food. And it's the same thing with sexuality. We want to taste it, but we don't want to commit to it, and so we'll taste it and then vomit it up. And as we vomit it up, it hurts everybody in that process. Lewis goes on to say, to have sexuality without a promise is just unnatural. And I'll just add for our context today, unbiblical and not in God's order to have it that way. Last, sexual lust is desiring pleasure. This is even going to get harder without a person. Pleasure without a person. It's self-stimulation, self-fulfillment without another person. 
Lust is the opposite of love. You've got to know it. It's the opposite of love. See, with love, you want the person. With lust, you want the pleasure without the person because you want to dispose of the person so you can move on to the next lustful experience. So it's, you don't need a person to have sexual lust. You just need continued experiences. See, in love, you want a person. And therefore, you're willing, this, this is, you're willing, if you li- you're willing to forego pleasure. If you have love, you're willing to forego pleasure. But if it's just lust, you will not forego pleasure because you've got to have those needs met. And lust, the pleasure is just non-negotiable because the person is disposable. Lust doesn't see the person. Lust just sees the thing that's desired, the experience, the thing that I want at that moment. And so I'll just be real honest with you. This is my own, this is my stuff. I'll just share with you my stuff. And some of you are going to, you're not going to agree with me. And it's okay, you can be wrong. <laughs> uh, I'm teasing, but really. Uh, 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 most of what we see, most of what we see, that's expressed on a screen, expressed in our culture, that's pictured in advertising, that is in the magazines at the grocery store counters, promotes sexual lust. Read it. See it. Experience it. It's pleasure without prohibition. You all deserve it. You deserve to have an affair, and we'll even tell you how. We can go to this website, and you can know how to do it. Pleasure without prohibition. Pleasure without a promise, no commitment. I'm just going to move on and on and, and, you know, just keep having pleasure. And it's pleasure then also without a person. I don't need a person if I'm going to have pleasure, if I'm going to fulfill it with sexual lust. And I'll say this, folks, we have an epidemic. And I'm not saying it's in this room. Be really honest, it's in this room. We have an epidemic of disordered lust, disordered lust in our culture today. And it's wreaking havoc on men and women and children and families. 70% of men, and you just got to know, that's seven out of the 10 men in this room. 70% of men say they struggle with online pornography. 34% of Christian women say that they struggle themselves with online pornography. A group of attorneys were surveyed, and they asked, what is the number one cause of divorce? 568 of divorces come from struggles with pornography. Struggles with, it used to be finances, no longer. It's pornography. Number one cause of divorce is, and this is, what, this is what's so mind-boggling about this. When you survey the same couples, both couples will say that online pornography is wrong. Both members, of the, both members of the couple will say that online pornography is wrong, but one of them can't stop. One of them saying, I'm going to destroy my relationship and my marriage because I won't stop what's going on in my mind that I've got to experience in this way. And I'll say it to you, I've talked with a lot of ladies lately. A lot of women have come to me, and they've talked to me, and they said, if somebody could just help my husband know what I feel when he engages in online pornography, it's wrong. And it's hurting women, and it's hurting families. I just read this stat this week. 
nine out of 10 children between the ages of eight and 16 have already been exposed to online pornography. Nine out of 10. And I just said, folks, when you're exposed, those pathways are formed. You'll never forget that first image. Those pathways are formed, and it's a struggle there, and we've got to say it has to stop. We just got to stop it. And I'm going to give you some help today. I think that's going to help as we look at this. And I just want to challenge you today that you're going to be part of the solution with me. And it begins with each one of us individually, not this church. Each one of us individually saying, I'm going to stop today. I'm no longer going to allow myself to be a victim to sexual lust. And I'm going to give you three steps, three ideas today. The first one is this. I must admit my struggle. I must admit my struggle. And we saw that in the video. It was very funny. Had to acknowledge the fact that he had a struggle with his gorilla. And so we have to be willing to admit it. And we must come clean. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive what? Mercy. Mercy. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about receiving all of God's love for you. We're not talking about that you have to give up fun. Experience it as God made it to be. So I'm just going to give you some thoughts. And before each verse, I'm going to give you a thought that's there. First, I need to admit my struggle to God. That's the first step. I need to admit my struggle to God. I just need to say to God, God, I want to come to you. I want to confess this. I want to admit it. I want to acknowledge it, that I have this struggle. That's what David's doing in Psalm 32. He's confessing his sin. He says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you, and, you stop, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. Because as you're trying to hide your guilt, it just becomes uh, you know, a nightmare. It becomes too hard. It becomes too difficult. And the more you're trying to you know, manage your guilt, the less you're free you are in relationships. And so you're actually cutting yourself off. You're, you have to wall yourself up against the guilt, which causes you not even to be able to be intimate with the people around you and your family. And so that's another way that it causes us to pull away from relationships. Next, I need to admit my struggle to others. Ooh, that's hard. It's all right there. Okay? You're not going to have no more blanks. You just have to, each one of those verses has this idea. This has the idea in the next verse, James 5. I need to admit my struggle to others. I need to admit my struggle to others. And that's what James 5 says. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? Healed. Is that what we want? Do we want to be healed? Yes. So we need to confess our sins to each other. Now, I'm not going to stop the service right now and say, hey, anybody want to do this? Oh, that would do so much damage. That would be so inappropriate. But what the Bible does suggest is that you would find a same gender person or persons that you could be in a relationship with that you would then share your struggle and admit it because as you share it, it's the pathway to healing. Now, one kind of, one kind of place that, you know, there is a little more free with exposure. It's a little harder in here with, you know, all the folks that we have in here is right down the hall. We have a meeting every Friday night and it's called Celebrate Recovery or CR for short. And this is an environment that's set up to be safe. And so everything that happens down there, you know, what happens down at CR stays in CR. And so they are more free to admit and talk about some of the, you know, common struggles. And I just want to suggest to you, I received an email this week from someone who's going to share this Friday night. This is typically, this is God. This is coincidence, God. Uh, this Friday night, this person is going to share about sexual sin and his struggle and the devastation this caused to his world. In fact, I just want to read you the email. Here's what he sent me. He sent me this week. Knew I was going to talk about this. 
This Friday night, October 14th, I will be giving my testimony, which deals with sexual addiction. Almost 40 years of my life was consumed with lust and sexual addiction. My testimony is about leading a double life while being a Christian and finding freedom through surrender. God used CR to take me, a flawed person, and chip away all the stuff that isn't the real me. And this is what he says, and I just so admire this courage. If possible, could you promote Celebrate Recovery this Friday night? Because he knows that if you hear his pathway and what God did in him, that that might be the opportunity for you to be set free as well. And I just want to encourage you, Friday night, 7 o'clock, right down here, to hear this testimony. Next thing is this. If I'm going to break free from sexual lust, I must develop my strategy, okay? I'm, it's a battle, so I've got to develop my strategy that I'm going to work in. This is my break-free strategy. I must develop a strategy for those times when I'm tempted by sexual lust. Now, Steve Arterburn has written a couple of really good books, and they deal with this whole issue of, um, sex, of sexual lust. And uh, the first one is called Every Man's Battle. And the second one that I know of, I know there's, he's written more since then, but these are just for men. That's where I live, for men. And, so, and it's every young man's battle. Every man's battle. And I just want to suggest to you ladies that you pick up a copy of Every Man's Battle. And what? It's written for men. Let me help you. This is how it's going to help. When you read Every Man's Battle, what you'll discover is how men think. You'll discover how men think and then you can become part of their solution. You can become part of their solution. You can realize then that the clothing that you wear, the clothing, the suggestive clothing that are, it just so permeates our culture right now, even at church, the clothing you wear is a trap for the men who come by you. You may wear this, and you may think nothing about it. You may just, maybe some of you think they're going to be attracted to you, but I guarantee it's not the kind of attraction you really think. Guaranteed. And so I just encourage you women to read the book so you can help men, and you can be part of the solution. But anyway, in the book, the Every Man's Young Battle, he talks about this. He talks about a principle. It's called starve the sumo. Starve the sumo. And he tells about a young guy who was struggling big time with his thought life. He was into pornography, lust, sexual fantasy, and sexual activity. And he says to God, God, this is not fair. I continue to wrestle with this every day. You gave me these desires. Have you heard that one before? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? When Adam and Eve, you gave me this woman. Ah, oh, look at this, you know, <laughs> blaming somebody else. And he says, it's like wrestling this giant sumo wrestler every day. It's just too big and I can't win. And here's what God said to him. No, the reality is that you're wrestling with a five foot, two inch, 110 pound weakling who is no match for you. The reason he's now sumo is that you keep feeding him. If you want to win, you've got to starve the sumo. Starve the sumo. And I'm just gonna give you some ideas. Once again, I didn't, you don't have blanks there to fill in. These ideas are around these verses that we're going to look at that are listed there. Part of God's strategy is, I first of all, I need to make a commitment to God's standard to purity. I need to make a commitment to the biblical order, to God's standard of purity, to his plan for sexual expression. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, God's will for you. Did you notice that? Would you underline that? God's will for you, not his suggestion. His will for you is for you to be holy, not perfect, but set apart to say, I'm going to make it my goal 
I have this battle plan. I'm going to commit myself. So stay away from sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not, not in lustful passion like the pagans do who do not know God in his ways. So there's the first way is I need to make a commitment to God's standard for sexual purity. Another one is I need to make a commitment to control my actions. So I make a commitment to c- control my actions. We must make our own minds in advance how we're going to face sexual temptation. The story, you know, the theory always works this way, is that you have young men and you have young women and you talk to them about how they're going to stay sexually pure and they say you're not, you can't make the decision to stay sexually pure where you're in a backseat of a car and it gets hot and the windows are already fogged over. You can't, not in that moment, make the decision. You have to make the decision when? Way back over here. You have to make the decision way back over. I'm committed to God's standard of purity, so I'm not even going to be in the back of the car with the windows all fogged over. I don't even have to get there because I already made that decision in advance that I'm going to do this. I have to make up my mind. Look at what it says in Colossians 3. Put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. It's there. It's in all of us. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. So I have to make up my mind. I'm going to in advance. Another thing, another part of my strategy is I need to say, I'm going to run every time I get a chance. Now, some of you, here's what you think. You think, Ron, you're talking today, and you're talking to us, and we're going to be all geared up, and we're going to go out, and we're going to duke out, we're going to fight with this whole idea, and we're going to fight sin, we're going to fight lust, and you're going to give us how we're going to fight everything. And here's what I want to tell you. If you fight, you lose. The Bible says if you run, you win. You run, you win. Over and over again, it tells you to what? Run from sexual lust. Run from things that are impure. Run from them. In fact, there's a verse for, for you in 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living. Here's what you do pursue. You run toward, you run away from, you run toward, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call. There's another part of the strategy right there, is that I have to be with other people. I have to be with other folks. Is enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. So I need to, no, I need to scale down my friendship pool. I'm not going to listen to advice. I'm not going to hang out in places. I'm not going to let guys take me to this. I'm not going to let gals take me to these kinds of parties. I'm not going to hang out in these situations where I know that it's going to be the only thing, the only purpose of the night is sexual lust that I'm going to stay away from so I can keep myself pure. I'm going to run away from that. So we have to control our actions. We have to control our exposure. We have to control our thoughts. So I'm going to give you some ideas, okay, how we do that. First, you need to monitor your media intake. You need to monitor your media intake. Now, you guys, just, just be honest, okay? Let's just be honest. A lot of the media that we see and we watch and we look at, it's all geared toward one thing, to tell a story, but to get you attracted through sexual lust. And so what I just want to encourage you, if you're going to watch a movie, there are several websites. I think Plugged In is one, and uh, Mincioni or something like that's another one, Christianity Today. They all have websites, and on there they have movie reviews. And so what you would do is you go to the movie you want to watch, and if it says sexual activity or nudity, don't go. Just don't go. It's not complicated. Just stay home. Don't see it. Doesn't matter if everybody else says they're seeing it. Just don't do it. Because you're going to monitor your media intake, and you're not going to be exposed to things that are going to stimulate youthful lust. You need to monitor your eyes. Monitor your eyes. Here's what, you know, my son, he's 17, and we've been doing this for quite some time now. And we call it eye bounce. And so uh, as we're going through, you know, situations in public and we're around 
uh, folks, uh, women who are just dressed inappropriately. I'll just say it, dressed inappropriately. And so what we have to do is we have to play the eye bounce game. And so it's always a kind we, I look to see, we look to see who's bounced eyes first. And so we're monitoring our eyes as to what we're going to look at. That we're, so it's okay to look. It's okay to see God made beauty. It's not okay to leer. It's not okay to have that second look. I heard someone say it this way. And you're driving down the road and you see a beautiful woman, it's okay to look. It's not okay to look in the rearview mirror. <laughs> okay, guys, you got me? It's not okay to wear sunglasses because you think no one's looking at your eyes, right? You can see, get those secret looks in. So you need to monitor your eyes. Take off those sunglasses. You have to manage your mind. You have to minimize the opportunities. You have to establish accountability in your life. That in some way, you're going to have people hold you accountable. So back to James chapter 1. Three steps in James chapter 1. And I just want to list them for you. And first is, sin gets my attention. And that's where we have to stop it, right there. When, I get, when it gets my attention, I have to stop it. And then the next step is, it gets my arousal, and when I'm there, I'm done in. So I've got to stop it at attention. When I, when I'm around, when I, when, you know, my, I perk up, when it gets my attention, I have to stop it right there and not allow it to get to arousal because after arousal is action. And that's the process James 1 gave us just a little bit earlier. Let me give you some resources, okay? This may help. Every Man's Battle, I mentioned. Every Young Man's Battle by Steve Arterburn. There's a website. You're going to love this. It's called triplexchurch.com. Triplexchurch.com. Here's another website. It's called settingcaptivesfree.com. Settingcaptivesfree.com. Also, you want to have an internet filter. You know what? I don't even want to raise, I, don't, I, I, I thought about asking you to raise your hands if you don't use internet filter, and I, I just, I can't do it because I don't want to see how many people might not do this. You must have an internet filter. And guys, your wife must have the code. <laughs> Internet filter. I'm going to give you two. One's called Safe Eyes, and the other one is called, it used to be Be Safe, now it's called Be Secure. Safe Eyes or Be Secure. So you can have, your, you know, have someone else monitor your input that would come from the Internet. Okay, look at what First Peter says. He says, you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. Okay, here's the deal. Some of you, I just, I just give you lots of grace this morning. Some of you had no idea that there was a biblical order and a worldly order, that there was a disordered way and there was a biblically ordered way. You had no idea. I'll just give you that benefit of the doubt. Here's the deal. You do now. You do now. You do now know God's standard, and you're accountable to God's standard. It says you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Okay, the last idea, and this is where we're going to move to communion, because I really believe some people need to be set free today. I, need to, I believe some people need to be forgiven today. I believe some people need to leave here free today, just totally free, maybe for the first time. So where this last step is so essential, and it's this. I must restore my purity. I must restore my purity. I must ask God to restore my purity. And there's kind of three ideas, kind of list those verses there, three ideas. It begins with confession. And so I admit it, it begins with confession. If you look at what David did in Psalm 51 there when he was caught in the sin of adultery and murder with Bathsheba, he says this to God, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, wash me from my guilt, purify me from my sin. So it begins with confession, 
then you need to move to repentance. Repentance means I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to do something differently. So that's repentance. I'm going to do that. And this is what David says in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Restore to me the joy, the joy that comes from living within your boundaries and make me willing to what? Obey you. That means I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to give up my desires and I'm going to repent and I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to obey you. And then the final step is to receive his forgiveness. You got to receive it. Satan would want you to think that you've sinned so badly and maybe it was even last night and you sinned so badly that there's no way you can be forgiven. There's no way God can love you. And God says, I went to the cross so I could take every sin everything you've done, and you could be forgiven, and I just ask you to receive it. You can have it if you receive it. Look at what Jesus says to a woman who was caught in adultery, who didn't, no way felt like she could be forgiven. In fact, everybody was telling her that she needed to be stoned, and that Jesus said, he who was out without sin should throw the first stone. Everybody left because everybody has sinned, and then he says to her this, he says, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So here's what I would say to you today. And I, I hope you felt this from me too. Instead of a stone, Jesus offers you forgiveness. Instead of condemnation, Jesus offers you freedom. Jesus offers you the chance to be restored, to re be renewed, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what, as I said, you did last night. What matters right now is that you can be as pure as you choose to be by receiving his grace, receiving his forgiveness, and then telling him you want to walk with him in purity from this day forward. We're going to listen to a song now. And this song talks about the process of losing innocence, of giving in to lust that's destructive, and ends with the hope of purity and being recreated and reborn. Let's listen to this. Child is 
place so they can begin serving communion and as they're doing that i'm going to ask all of us to pray and as they get ready we're just going to go for before god for a moment father i know that uh, we have people in the room and um, i just say i'm i'm one god that has blown it somewhere in the past some of us have received forgiveness others of us have not and today what i know what you want and what you desire several things but one is unless we're forgiven, unless we receive it, nothing's going to change. If we don't admit it, we don't come clean before you. So I pray today that we would just right now, in this moment we have, we'd come clean before you. We confess that our, this is our sin. This is our, what we've done. And, and yes, we gave in to the, the lies of sexual lust, the lies of culture, and we've not lived by the biblical order, the biblical mandate. And God, as we receive that today, I just, want to, I just want us all to believe that we can walk out of here clean today, restored, renewed, pure in your eyes. And may we receive that as we have our time of communion today. May that solidify the experience as we realize what Jesus has done for us. Our ushers are going to start serving now. I'm just asking if you would to stay in your time of prayer. If you need to move, maybe have a little more space, that's okay. Please don't talk to the people around you. Let everyone have their space. If you've never said yes to Jesus Christ, I want to ask you to let the plates pass. It's for those who have said yes to Jesus. Just observe today. 
We're going to have a moment. We're going to listen to some music. You're going to have time there to reflect. And our ushers are going to serve. And they just take your elements and hold them. We'll all have communion together after we're all served. communion is a time for us to remember what Jesus has done for us and today uh, it's just my prayer and I've been praying really hard for this as we have uh, been thinking about what the possibility is for today um, that so many of you could be set free and feel forgiven and know you are and not only to know you are but have steps for how to walk with Christ in purity uh, because the families are at stake our church is at stake your heart is at stake, your soul. That's our prayer that we've been able to understand that today. And the whole idea of what Jesus did on the cross, which is essential to us understanding, is that there were two aspects of the cross. And one is that on Jesus' body was given all the punishment for the sins of all time, past, future, all time. Sins of, the human, of humanity were put on Jesus Christ. He received the penalty. And so every lash or every part of the beating that he went through was just the wrath, God's wrath, on our sin. And Jesus took that for us, and we don't have to. 
So as you eat this, thank Jesus that he did that for you. But also what was required is a perfect sacrifice. And when Jesus' blood was shed, it became the pathway or the opening or it paid the price for us to be able to have relationship with God, to have a covenant with him, to be able to know him, to be able to walk forward from this day forward with him, well, ahead, this day forward with him. And Jesus' blood was given, the perfect blood of the spotless lamb, so that you and I could know our beautiful God. So as you drink this, thank Jesus that he did that for us. And all this reminds us of his grace that he wanted to bring to us. And so I want to ask if you would look at the screen right now. There's a verse up on the screen from Ephesians chapter 1. And let's just end by reading this out loud together, okay? He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. And there's so much freedom in that. In fact, so much freedom that we want to sing together Amazing Grace. Our team's going to lead us in that, and let's sing it with all our hearts this morning. Sing it with me.
thank God for his amazing grace. God, we thank you so much. We love you. We praise you that we can be free and free indeed.